Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome, warriors. Tonight, our selection is The Myth of Theseus and the Minotaur. Inspired by the Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes by Edith Hamilton. This is one of the oldest tales in the Greek canon and brings light to the founding of democracy in Western civilization. Before the Roman Empire, before America, and before Western Europe, there was Athens, Greece. This is the tale of how democracy came to be, thousands of years ago. But it's more than just that. It's a tale of heroism, courage, and bravery. It's a story of justice and developing your inner wisdom. Plus, it has a monster, and that's just cool. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. But as you relax and let the day go, Remember that this is your time to dive into a different world. Explore and hear wisdom of times past. You've earned it. And if today hasn't been your best battle, you can soak in some inspiration for tomorrow so you can fight your best. So relax and enjoy. It's 1300 BC. Rome wasn't even a city yet. And Alexander the Great wouldn't even be born for another thousand years. On a large island off the coast of what would now be modern-day Greece, King Minos ruled Crete with an iron fist. He was brutal and a powerful ruler, and was feared by neighboring kingdoms. He would demand that neighboring cities and tribes pay tribute to him with goods and fighting men for his armies. And all would oblige for fear of his might and to avoid their cities being ransacked and destroyed. King Minos had a particular disdain for Athens since his son had been killed by Athenians nine years ago. And so he struck down Athens in war and subdued them. And not only did he require the typical tribute, but also demanded that they pay him seven young men and women to be delivered to him as well. But these demands of the Athenians became too much for them to bear, as every year the seven young men and women would never be heard from again. To give you an idea of who King Minos was, he had given his wife to a bull to lay with, and Poseidon had ordained a child as a result of the unholy mixture. 
and a half-man, half-bull creature was born, and he called it the Minotaur, or Minotaur as we call it today, naming it after himself. King Minos lived in a great palace, and within the palace walls, he had a giant labyrinth constructed to house the abominable creature confined within so that no matter which way a person would run within the caverns of the labyrinth, they would eventually run into the creature and meet their end. The Minotaur was conceived with ill intent and knew only pain and shadows and survived on the flesh of any human unfortunate enough to cross King Minos. Initially, the god Poseidon had agreed to allow the monster to be conceived because he found that it would be a worthwhile sacrifice to him. However, King Minos felt a perverse affection for the creature and could not bear to sacrifice it. Driven mad by power and the loss of his son, Minos refused to kill the Minotaur. As the wicked king saw it, this was a great propaganda tool to strike even more fear into the hearts of his enemies and to entertain his sociopathic mind. He would take great pleasure in rounding up the children of Athens and taunting them as he watched them run in fear, knowing that the Minotaur would rip them apart and eat them alive. So he turned his back on his god and instead kept the miserable creature alive in the dark underbelly of his palace. Across the water in Athens, the young prince Theseus and his father, King Aegeus, are preparing tribute for Minos. As they walk and inspect the ships of goods and people, Theseus sees mourning families of the seven young men and women boarding the ship. Father. Why do we send seven young men and women to Crete every year? Because, my son, if we do not, Minos of Crete would wage war against us, and his multitude of soldiers would descend upon our dear city and people. And this would be a war that we could not win, King Aegeus replied. And they go to Crete as slaves, then? Theseus asks. No, my son. They go to be sacrificed as tribute and fed to a creature that he keeps within his palace walls. Theseus, taken aback by this, shouts, This is terrible and cannot be. These are our people. What sort of disgrace is this to Athens? We cannot continue with this tradition of shame. Athens will not give up any more of her young men and women to this mad tyrant. The flesh of our people will be food for his abomination no longer. When time comes to pay tribute next, I will go as one of them, and I vow to you, Father, that this will be the last time that this creature will feed on the flesh of any of our people. I will kill this monster, and from this disgrace bring liberty to Athens." With his whole heart, King Aegeus loved his son and urged Theseus to change his mind to no avail. The king reminded Theseus that every year, other men had sworn to slay the terrible beast, and still never had been heard from again. Theseus insisted 
that he understood the peril that he would face, but had no doubt that he would succeed in killing it. As he was about to board the ship headed to Crete, he turns to look at his father on the docks and tells him, I will return to you, father, and you will be proud of your son, and your people will know freedom. King Aegeus accepted his son's resolve and wished him success. I will keep watch for you every day. If you are successful and are able to come back to me, replace your black sails with white ones so that when I look upon the horizon, I will know that it is you coming home safely to me. Theseus agreed and boarded the ship and sailed to Crete. Once the ship docked in Crete, King Minos himself appeared to inspect the prisoners of Athens. He relished the opportunity to taunt the Athenians and humiliate them, reminding them of their soon-to-be gruesome fate. I cannot believe that this is what the Athenians send me. Such pathetic, miserable creatures. Hardly suitable food for my beast within the labyrinth. But I am not completely without heart. I will allow you to elect the first to die. So, who shall it be? Theseus steps forward without a flinch. I will go in first as I am Theseus, Prince of Athens, and I do not fear you or what's within your maze. King Minos replies, Spectacular! Athens has attempted to honor me by giving me their feeble prince. Those are brave words for such a puny man. The Minotaur will soon gore you with his horns, spill your entrails across the floor, and feed upon them while you watch to your death. Minos turns to his henchmen and shouts, Throw him in! The guards grab Theseus and escort him towards the holding chamber, where he would wait to be goaded into the labyrinth. King Minos jeers at Theseus as he's escorted away. I will take great pleasure in hearing the echoes of your cries from the outside of my labyrinth walls as the Minotaur rips you apart. During the whole debacle, Theseus locked eyes with a beautiful woman who stood beside King Minos. But he soon diverted his gaze, knowing that he must be resolute in his mission. Seeing the passion and confidence in Theseus, King Minos's daughter, Ariadne, had fallen in love with him from the moment she saw him. As she listened to her father taunting and mocking the young prince, she decided that she would help him. Once the guards tossed him to the holding chamber, Ariadne snuck in and whispered to him through the bars of the gate, Here, Theseus, take this. Even if you somehow do kill the Minotaur, you'll never find a way out of the labyrinth. She threw him a large ball of twine and told him to tie one end to the entrance. He smiled at her with surprise and gratitude and turned to face the entrance and with diligence in his eyes began to make his way into the maze, the string falling behind him as he went. 
Theseus walked carefully and quietly with a sense of purpose as the passages begin to grow darker and more foul-smelling through the labyrinth. With every stride, he became more and more aware of his breath, more aware of every sound of his step, but did not waste any time. Turning a corner, with his hands held out in front of him, he touched something, something that felt like a huge horn. He could hear the creature breathing, but it wasn't moving. It stunk of rotten flesh, and he could feel the warmth of its body and breath against him. With a small glimmer of a distant torchlight, he noticed that it was asleep, and so he jumped on the creature with his arms around its throat, cutting off its airways. The creature stood up and struggled and charged, smacking Theseus against walls and bashing its own head against the bricks of the labyrinth, attempting to buck him off and gore him. But Theseus didn't let go. It was his stubbornness and courage and strength against the beast's sheer might and panic as the Minotaur fell to the ground, struggling for breath, it finally gave way, and the beast collapsed. Theseus, believing that he killed the creature, dismounts to catch his breath, and notices that the Minotaur begins to come to, and grunts with rage. He rushes back to it, grabbing it by the horns, mustering all of his strength and speed, and twists its head and snaps its neck. His great sense of accomplishment was soon overshadowed by his sudden realization that he did not have the string and did not know where he was. He knelt to the ground, feeling for what seemed like an eternity, trying to find the twine that would guide him back to the entrance. Picking up thread after thread, only to find that it was just the hair from the beast that he had just slain. Eventually, he came to the twine that Ariadne gave him and followed it back. As he made his way through the damp, cavernous labyrinth, the darkness began to fade away as he made his way to the torchlight of the entrance. And there he saw Ariadne waiting for his return. You've made it! I had no doubt. You must take me back to Athens with you, she cried. My father will have me killed if he finds out that I've helped you. Of course, said Theseus. You must come. Theseus grabbed Ariadne's hand and ran to the harbor. By this time, nightfall had arrived, and the moon was nowhere to be found. They had nothing but the light of the gods and the stars to guide them. As they ran to the docks, they spotted an unmanned ship that they could take, but not before setting fire to the main fleet of King Minos's ships within the harbor. The smoke from the ships rose to the sky, blocking out the light of the stars. Then they jumped into the deck of the ship they saw and cut the ropes and sailed away into the night. On the way sailing back to Athens, their ship had been tossed about 
to the extent that the hull was damaged. Theseus docked the ship on a small island and they went ashore to make repairs. Soon after, a violent storm pulled him out to sea while Ariadne was left on the island. He was out for so long and the storm was so brutal that when he managed to finally dock his ship again, he found Ariadne dead on the beach. Theseus set sail for home. His heart was so affected by the death of Ariadne that all other thoughts were pushed from his mind. Because of this, he had forgotten to change the sails from black to white, as he promised his father. King Aegeus saw the black sails from the Acropolis, where he had been watching for days to see his son's return. Upon seeing the black sail, Aegeus took it as a sign of his son's death and failure. And with his heart broken in despair, he threw himself down from the rocky heights of the cliff and into the sea to his death. Theseus was crowned king of Athens. And though he arrived a hero in some respect, it was tainted by the loss of his father and the woman that he had loved along the way. Theseus would be a very wise but disinterested king. He began his voyage as a virtuous young man who wished to fight for honor, pride, and for the love of his people, and hoped to earn the respect of his father. But Theseus had been transformed after coming so close to death and had to reconcile the tragedy of loss. Perhaps he believed that the deaths of Ariadne and his father were his fault and questioned his right to rule. Or perhaps he saw that even a prince or a king is faulty no matter his level of heroism. Even a king ordained by the gods who heroically slayed a beast and single-handedly demolished an enemy's naval fleet could still be subject to mistakes. Realizing the magnitude and scope of his influence and the burden of ruling justly, he decided that he was not a perfect god and therefore not fully fit to rule. Some would say that he was giving up. Others would say that he had come to a deep and profound conclusion, the meaning of freedom and the value of life. No matter what his inner reflections were, he declared to the people that he did not wish to rule over them, but rather wished that the people govern themselves as equals. He resigned his royal authority and organized a commonwealth based on democratic ideas. And thus, Athens was the birthplace of democracy in the Western world and became free, prosperous, and the home of true liberty. Theseus' story is riddled with pain and loss and like everyone else's life, we are faced with the impermanence and frailty of life. We all must descend into the darkness of our own personal labyrinth and defeat the monster within, that miserable creature that only knows captivity and pain 
that only seeks to hold us back from our true life and liberty. Sometimes we suffer loss, but that doesn't mean that Theseus didn't return a hero. He transcended the paradigm of the warrior king by opening himself up to the wisdom that no man is perfect. And our scope of influence is magnified on those that we lead. Perhaps the most courageous thing that Theseus did was to create a new world and give the power to his people that he fought so bravely to rescue and free from tyranny therefore giving them ultimate freedom from any tyranny, even his own. Every man makes mistakes and experiences tragedy, but it doesn't have to define you. What does this help to remind you of your own life? Envision yourself triumphantly returning to your home after devastating the fleet of your enemies you've single-handedly gotten the upper hand and freed your people. And now it's time to free them completely. Your people welcome you with open arms and cheers, but you know that you can do much more for them. This time it's your story. You reflect on your dive into the darkness and the caverns within the labyrinth and with your strength, you snap the neck of the beast that's tormented your people. You find your way out, guided by the light of torches and the hope of a return to the loving embrace of your people and a newfound love. You've made it out with your beautiful helper by your side and you burn the fleet of your enemy under the stars and you escape and sail into the night. The warm sea breeze kisses your cheeks as you inhale fresh air, and the waves sing as they crash against your boat, and the fluttering of the sail pushes you forward. Your courage has brought you here, and your absolute unwavering resolve has not only brought you to the beautiful freedom that you have earned, but by your side you find someone who loves you for it someone who respects you for your ambition. You're off to a new life. Now you are here, home, and together you greet your people and they ask to hear more of your story and you share with them the wisdom that you've attained from your journey and bestow absolute freedom to them. You are the hero of your people, but more importantly, you are the hero to yourself and you have become free from your own fears and limitations. And now you can share that same gift and share that light on your home.